You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, uh, the world is in a very different place than the last time we had Trillions, and we felt like we needed to uh, bring everyone up to speed on on sort of the the big macro implications of this war in Ukraine and the role of commodities and what what's happening in the commodities market because there's a lot of turmoil and and uh, commodities are basically part of the the thing that everybody's watching. Yeah, you know, we plan to do this episode really because commodities are the new shiny objects. I mean, if you look at the commodities category, which has been really bad for like a decade, it's now the hot spot. Uh, really, it's green all over, no matter what commodity you pick, pretty much. And we were going to do it because commodities are up because of inflation fears, where they were. Now you have geopolitics. So we've got two major catalysts here that are creating potentially a really uh, attractive category. And investors are starting to put in money, and the commodities ETFs have grown by about 50% over the past 14 months in organic growth. So there's a lot of trapdoors, a lot of um, rated R products in here, uh, places to you know that you don't know what you're doing. It can be tricky. So we really need to be careful when we go over a category like this. So to help us make sense of everything, Mike McClone, commodity strategist with Bloomberg Intelligence, is going to help us understand the field. This time on Trillions, can the boom in commodities last? Mike, welcome to Trillions. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, before you were at Bloomberg, you actually were in the ETF world. So let's just start there. What, what, what did you do before you were a commodity strategist? So I, did, I, I like to say it just took me 30 years to get to Bloomberg, but Eric and I met on a panel. I was the head of research at ETF Securities, which is now Wisdom Tree. And I remember us discussing precious metals and stuff like that. And then, um, so we've been, uh, it's been, how long is that, Eric? About eight, nine years now? It was bad, probably about 10 years ago. Can I just explain <laughs> what Mike did on this panel? I think we were in Austin, Texas at... Yeah or Dallas in this like cool art bar. We were using these unique venues to do uh, presentations on ETFs and panel discussions. Anyway, Mike actually brought like physical gold coins or silver coins and he held them up. And I was like, I told him after, I'm like, props, I like that. That's good. I gotta, I gotta use some props in my thing too because these panels can be so boring. So anything that you can do to spice them up, I like as a presenter and I was... That's how I first met Mike. And then I, that night I, or later that day, I saw him in the line at the airport waiting for bags. And that's how we started talking and um, we met. That's how we became friends. And man, I remember I had a silver, one of those silver dollars. If I had just given you the equivalent or had the equivalent amount of Bitcoin, I would have been much better off. So, so much for the physical uh, commodities anymore. I guess they're coming back a little. 
Also worth mentioning that you 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 cover uh, cryptocurrencies for Bloomberg Intelligence, which I'm sure oh, yeah. we'll talk about. But, yeah, Mike, but has, Mike, Mike has gone full crypto. You know, we talk half crypto. Oh, yeah. Mike's, yeah. I think he's probably ninety percent. Yeah. So, Mike, that, let's start in a non-crypto space. Let's talk about Ukraine. Um, commodities has been just on this terror. There's, you know, the word super cycle was dropped many times last year. So where do, where are we at in that super cycle and sort of bring us up to speed on on inflation and, and what you're seeing in Ukraine? Well, I think the most important thing for investors to realize here is allocating or some partial allocations to commodities has worked really well as a diversifier. And that's been the investors who did that early on um, are reaping the benefits, at least having that hedge. So uh, you know, the Bloomberg Commodity Index up almost 19% on the year, crude oil up almost 30% on as of the beginning of uh, March, and stock market down, you know, NASDAQ down 13%. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, but the key thing that's happened is the market's priced for a significant amount of demand about a, a supply shock out of the Russia invasion of Ukraine. And I still think it's going to be the opposite. I think it's going to be more of a demand destruction event like happened in 2008. And I'll bring those parallels in there. But one thing we need to point out is this will be a absolute boom for North American commodity producers. Now, we can get in that later, and a lot of our, our audience will be interested in some of those producers, because right now, crude oil is just the first time WTI really sustained above $100 a barrel. The first time it did that was in 2008, right about this time of year. We'll dig into that. The parallels are uncanny. It's very scary. But we're basically almost triple the cost of U.S. production shale, where if, if producers can hedge out two to three years based on the curve, and you can roll down that curve when you're investing in those commodities, and they can double their cost of um, production in terms of a price in the screen. It's happening in all the grains and everything. So this is an absolute boom for those producers. It's a question of sustainability. My fear is this war will trigger a global recession, which is overdue, and the whole thing will tumble down like in 2008. Well, okay, let's. That's a lot of like in the know macro talk. Right? Let's just take a big step back and talk oil. Okay, XLE is a is a popular ETF people use. I believe last time I looked, it's up like ninety percent in the past year. This wasn't supposed to happen. I remember some people were like, "Oil is over. This is a green revolution. This will never happen." Just explain to us why oil in particular is up so much in the past twelve months if we're supposed to be like over oil. Well, uh, first of all, the, the bottom line, the foundation for oil going up to $100 a barrel was it went down to negative 40 back in April 2020. That shut off a lot of um, production. And from that, we came out with this almost unprecedented discipline from OPEC. Now we're returning to a demand environment and the supply is not there, OPEC discipline. But if the lessons of oil is a good example, the higher price cure should kick in and we should go back to where we were before. So let's point out right now, the price of oil is about... 50% below the peak, maybe 40% below the peak in 2008. There's a reason for that, because the U.S. back in 2008 was a net importer, one of the largest in the world, and we had a financial, we had a real estate crisis. Now, the world's largest importer is China, and they're having a real estate crisis. But the key thing about oil was it's on the back of that major um, demand shock, and now we're getting supply to kick in. And the rule in commodities, I'll leave you with this, is a higher price cure should kick in. Right now we have the war and there's fears of how that will happen and we'll have a, a cutoff of Russian supply. But Russian supply is probably going to go directly to China. And then I don't think there'll be a major disruption in supply in the planet. But key thing to think about what's happening right now 
is this is a major shock to inflation. It's a major shock to the Fed for consumers. And it's basically a repeat of what it did in 2008. So I'm worried that this is going to revert lower. And that's what Crudel has been doing since the peak in 2008. I'll, I'll end with this. Three times since 2008, it's dropped 80%. So that's what investors have to be worried about. And that would be more of a lower tide for everything. Okay, you, you mentioned the North American producers, which is an interesting component here because OPEC seems like it's going to probably just do its own thing, maintain status quo. But what could happen over here in North America now that there's this, that, that opportunity, that margin that, you know, if you're a shale producer, you're looking at $100 oil that you could spool up real quick and start pumping again. I, I mentioned I focus on North America, Joel, because that North America supply has been the major paradigm pressure shift in crude oil since the peak in 2008. Back then, North America was a net importer of about 10 million barrels of liquid fuels a day. As of this year, Department of Energy estimates, so we'll probably be, North America will probably have a surplus of about 14% of production of liquid fuels versus consumption. Now, I say liquid fuels because I'm from a farm background. In this country, 12% of our unleaded gas comes from ethanol. And that biofuel stuff is kicking in. So, um, and I have to include Canada. Um, but that's, that's been the paradigm that's pressured oil. That's what's changed from just a decade ago. And what does that mean for the future? That supply is not gone forever. It's just coming back. It's revisiting. It's resetting. The key thing is that peak has been in consumption. I just remember being in the business when I met Eric. All It was all about oh, peak crude oil supply. And it turned out to be peak consumption in North America. So U.S., Total liquid fuel consumption in the U.S. peaked around 24 million barrels in 2018. Maybe we get to 23 million barrels a day. But the major, the most significant retooling ever in the history of automotive manufacturers is toward EVs. I own an EV, and that is probably peaked forever. and It's going to head lower. And also versus GDP, it's, not, it's insignificant. Now, the demand side is on China. But what's China facing? Major property crisis like the U.S. Ha- had. Now, if the world hits a recession, all that demand pull for China, and of course, is going to be a problem. Of course, this a fact of China is 20% of the automobile sales last year were EVs. First time ever. Where's that going? Well, I, I, I would add that uh, to make EVs, you need fossil fuels. I mean, there's a lot of fossil fuel behind the scenes of clean energy. But let's move to oil. You mentioned something in your first answer, which was the curve. And just to deconstruct this. I have two categories of commodity ETFs, those that are physically backed, like gold, where it really does track the price very well. But then ones that you can't store, like oil, natural gas, corn, they are different than the price because they own futures and they have to constantly roll them from one month to the next as the one becomes closer to expiry because no one wants to get oil delivered to their house. So can you explain to me, if we have USO or an oil ETF like that, what the annual roll costs look like right now versus what it looked like before and what should investors be looking for when it comes to those roll costs or is it just worth it? So the key thing there, Eric, is it's it's probably a question, does it get much better for commodity and energy investors right now because of backwardation? What backwardation means, you have to roll that future and every time you roll it periodically, you roll to a, high, uh, to a lower price. The front end is bid, and the back isn't. Why is the front end bid? Because typically what happens in here, but a short-term issue with uh, um, excess uh, demand and lack of slack supply, and then it's always expected to work its way out. It does. It's a, it's a higher price cure. 
the question is how much better does it get? So right now, crude oil WTI is 15% in backwardation on a one-year basis. I always look at the annual. Most of the futures positions roll each contract. It depends on how they work. But you meant, there's, this is the key thing I want to point out. You mentioned natural gas. You got a point on natural gas. It's the world's worst commodity investment in history of mankind, probably because if you look at the price right now, it's four to five dollars. That's the same price as 20 years ago. Yet it's the most expensive to store and always costs a fortune. Um, and it's the key thing to remember about investing in commodities. When you invest in commodities, sometimes it's better to be more tactical. And if you think in longer term, buy and hold, stick with the metals. Gold, you mentioned precious metals because it'll hold the physical. You don't have to roll as much. But the way I look at nowadays, you cannot be invested in any commodities, most noting gold, without having some Bitcoin in that space, because it's a fact that Bitcoin is taking flows from gold and investment portfolios. So looking forward to what it's, what's the actual roll yield, it really is dependent. Typically, it costs, on average, 5 to 7% annualized to hold crude oil in a normal contango environment. Right now, you're probably making that in positive, um, positive returns, in addition to the spot price. That's just the roll. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, so we just went over oil, a little bit of natural gas. I would put all of those as big chunks of what's called broad commodity ETFs. Yeah. And the biggest one on the market right now that's taking in the most flows, and it's up 14% this year, which is one of the best performers of the year, is PDBC. So this is going to hold a whole bunch of future commodity futures. You, you talked about tactical, and I know that's what you do. You write for people who are trading. But what about a long-term investor? Is this the kind of fund that is better to hold long-term or should you never hold anything that holds commodity futures long-term? Well, the lessons of commodities is more the latter, unfortunately. Just look at performance. PDBC um, from 2015 is you know, is around 24 or so. Right now, it's 16. And the problem is because there's a negative role in commodities. It's not like equities you can buy and put them away and they're done. You're in, you're in coupons. You have, you have buybacks. You don't have to worry about in this type of product, there's always have to roll that futures. And the rule of commodities is normal contango. You're always in the long term going to have to pay some form of cost of storage. 
Natural gas is the most expensive to store commodity. Gold is the che- cheapest to store. And Bitcoin is actually the cheapest now. So that's why I wrote that in there. So it, that's going to come out through the futures role. Now, there's periods when you have like now you get some great performance. Um, and it's just a question of how long that lasts. But the bottom line is always remember is the cure for higher prices and commodities is higher prices. So why is the price of crude oil right now the same price as 2008? Wheat, the same price as 2008. Corn, the same price. And then let's look at even, even um, copper. It's the same price as 2011. That's a problem. It has been a problem. You mentioned the performance the last 10 years. But looking forward, when prices go up, I mentioned there's so much profits in the space that supply will come back. That's the difference with holding equities or commodity-based equities, which I understand a lot of institutional investors like to focus on if they want that commodity exposure, because you don't have that always working against that contango work in the long term working against you. So you, you mentioned some specific areas there, the, the wheat, the copper, uh, corn. What, what other... ETFs do you watch? And, and from, you know, from a, an investor standpoint, if we're back to a certain level and we have a potential for, for this to be uh, an area where we could see increased flows, what, which ETFs are you watching? Uh, usually watch the man. I don't watch commodity ETFs particularly much anymore. Having been done, been there, done that. I, I managed many of them at S and P because I know what happens with those over time. They're melting ice cubes. It's just the fact of commodities, except for the metals. The key ones I watch are GLD and GBTC. And Eric knows which that is because I think what's going to happen is GBTC will convert to a, a ETF. It's going to whip take out that discount, and it'll probably end up being one of the best ways to get exposure to Bitcoin, which is becoming the global digital reserve asset and going the world going that way. Okay, Mike, whoa. Okay. So you just went over a lot quickly. I, I just want to, can we just put Bitcoin aside for a minute? We're gonna, we'll get there. When we, when we look at, at gold in particular, uh, just it seems as though, I guess we can bring Bitcoin right back in. Uh, GBTC is a, is a trust which doesn't have new share creation, so it's trading at a discount. That's a, a, that's a really unique trade that people are looking at. Let's, let's put that aside. Let's look at gold and Bitcoin. It seems as though gold is a better store of value right now. It doesn't move around as much. Bitcoin seems to be trading like a high beta tech stock. So would, isn't the bid on gold right now make, make more sense if you're worried about inflation and the world you know, having geopolitical situations? It just seems like gold is actually showing why it's more uh, true zero cor- correlation. It's a more better diversifier slash hedge, whereas Bitcoin is really more like a shiny object. I have to push back on that a little bit. Gold has been a horrible performer the last couple of years, despite the highest inflation in 40 years, and Bitcoin has done very well. Ethereum has done a lot better. So I look at it this way. I can't speak about gold anymore without Bitcoin in the same bucket because the world is going digital and Bitcoin is a digital reserve asset. And I see it and sense it every day that the old guard that held and allocated the gold, all know they have to have some Bitcoin in that bucket. The key thing about gold is I fully expect it's going to perform a lot better in a deflationary environment. Um, and it has. And that is a good indication for that would be when the long bond yield starts dropping, which I expect. Um, long bond yield right now, it's peaked last year at 2.5%, and now it's like 2.15%. That's a recessionary trade. And gold had some major competition for a stock market. Last three years in a row, stock market's up S&P 500 average at 25%. Who needs gold in that environment? That to me is what should be changing. But the key thing, fact is, Eric, and that's why when I mentioned earlier, ETFs I watch, got to watch something that tracks Bitcoin. 
um, because those two belong together. And I say gold is naked without Bitcoin in the same bucket. That's just the facts of where things are going and have been going in the last few years. So now that Ukraine and this war is underway, a lot of interest in what Bitcoin will do. What's your take? I think it's showing divergent strength versus stock market. It certainly is. Bitcoin is down a few percent, but it has, it basically trades at three to four X volatility, meaning the risk 260 day volatility is that much higher. So Bitcoin at this stage versus the stock market should be down a lot more. So what I think is happening is Bitcoin is transitioning from a risk on asset to a risk off asset. And what's happened in this war might have just set that tone kick the inflection point and bend the trigger point. People in Ukraine and Russia who can't get a penny from ATMs have, have access to crypto dollars via their phones and cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin is the biggest one. So to me, this is the transition. And the key fact is, ask a millennial about gold. What do they say? Yeah, sorry, I'm going for Bitcoin. The world is going that way. And I look at it as why take the risk of not being allocated to one of the best performing assets in the world, and the world that's going digital. And like I said, I'm bullish gold. I think at some point what's going to happen is gold is going to pop above $2,000 an ounce and stay there. But I fully expect Bitcoin to outperform it. The key thing is how will we perform if and when we get the next down leg in the stock market, which I expect. Bitcoin is still risk asset. It'll probably gravitate lower, but it's been holding very good support around 30. And I think I'll end with this. I think it's just a matter of time that this global digital collateral goes to 100 grand. It's just a matter of time. That's just based on supply, demand, and increasing adoption. Let me ask you this question, which is something that I've been seeing debated on Twitter over the past couple of days. And it's a really good one, which is this idea of crypto trying to have it both ways. Like, And, and this question really strikes at the core of that. Should crypto exchanges comply and do what the U.S. government wants it to do in terms of freezing Russian accounts? Or oh, yeah. should it say no, Biden administration? That's yeah. not what we are. We are DeFi. And that's the whole point is that we're not run by the governments. What should they do? They have and to. Is- this, is, this, is, this is a war. And in war, the government can make them do it. And they should be smart enough to say, OK, we're going to do a help the cause here because we have a very oppressive dictator, um, a taking over and, and taking over a free country. That's got to stop right away or it won't stop. And so any other financial institution has to do, why shouldn't crypto exchanges to be different? Also license will be revoked. That's just a fact of war. Get used to it and get used to paying taxes when you make money. It just, that's life. The thing is, this is a revolution in digital assets. Now, anybody in those they can run their own nodes. You don't have to go through an exchange to do things. Um, and they can figure it out away from these exchanges. But when you have KYC and AML rules and to be licensed in the U.S., you got to do what the government tells you. <laughs> it's the facts. But that's what's going to happen this year. I fully expect we're going to have more clarified regulation from the U.S. Eventually, Alec, I know, Eric, this is your space. I, to me, it's just a matter of time we get properly um, uh, tracking physical ETFs, a tracking index of, of cryptos, um, just catching up to Europe and Canada. You know what's happening. Funds are leaving the world. and But Bitcoin is becoming global digital reserve asset, and this war is defining that. But the exchanges have to comply to um, what's happening. The war, I, I expect a year from now, we're going to see Russia completely isolated on a global economic stage. And if we don't do that, 
we are risking this tyranny of spreading. We have to. So just like ESG investing, when, you're, when, the, when your grandmother in Ohio, who is a former teacher, finds out that some of her pension fund money is invested in Russia, there's going to be an uproar. It's got to be complete pull the plug. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bitcoin is here to stay. Crypto is here to stay. I just think there's a lot of, you know, it, the, the performance and the use cases are, are definitely going to be debatable for a while, in my opinion. But let's, co- let's just take a big step back and just talk to me about, I just talked at the beginning of the um, podcast, we talked about commodity ETFs up uh, a good amount over the past year as in, as because inflation fears are here is now a good time to to add to that uh, and or you know what which what practically should people do with a portfolio in terms of commodities uh, you know should they use like a broad commodity and then add it with a little GLD and crypto and I know we can't give investment advice but what generally should people think about in terms of how to put this into a portfolio I think that, think about commodities as a hedge. It's worked great as a hedge, but if you want to just be overweight or underweight, the rule of commodities in most markets, you should be buying when they're crying and selling when they're yelling. And the market is extremely high levels and don't ever underestimate the higher price cure. So I fully expect crude oil can easily drop 50, 60, 70% this year. Um, and that's just what it's done three times since 2008. So be prepared for that. And I fully expect if you are worried about inflation, which is what you should have been worried about a year ago. I mean, it's just, it's, this is not the time to worry about inflation. It's time to worry about the base effect um, and Fed tightening and most assets going back down, um, which has always happened. And it's going to happen, I think, particularly because we have a, a risk of this recession. Um, but that's the key thing. And now, and overweighting commodities here, I just learned this lesson, been in the business for a long time. You just never want to get too bullish commodities when, they, when producers can make so much money at such good levels. And, you know, that's the old days when the U.S. was a net importer of liquid fuels. And now the U.S. is a net exporter. And this is um, the world's changed. And, and I, I, I view commodities as naked if there's not some digital assets in that space, because that's what's changing. The adoption of Bitcoin and Ethereum is happening rapidly. And I'll leave you with this. The most widely traded cryptos on the planet are digital crypto dollars. People call them stable coins. But they're really crypto dollars because the vast majority track the dollar. They're all based on Ethereum tokens. It's just a better way to do business, um, Eric, just like you did learning ETFs. It's just a better way to invest. Crypto dollars are a better way to do business. And um, instant settlement, you know, 24-7 trading costs you nothing. You're an interest. What more do you need to know? And decentralized. You don't need a bank in between. Um, so that's going to be regulated, but they're based on Ethereum tokens. That's part of what Ethereum is doing. It's revolutionary in the space. And then there's Bitcoin, the digital version of gold in the world going digital. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You mentioned uh, the potential for recession a couple times. How do you see that playing out? And is the commodity market, and does that provide indicators for what may transpire? Oh, sure. Right now, spiking energy, the, the most severe energy crisis in Europe in my lifetime, is a very good sign of what will happen to consumer spending. It's going to get crushed. I mean, just simple facts of inflation. Um, and this is not... Profound. This is almost exactly what happened in 2008, but it was not. It was. It's going to be worse, I think, this time, um, because it's global. It's being centered in Europe and China, and U.S. should come out very well. So, spike in energy is really bad. So, let's look at the fact that the S&P 500 is peak to trials dropped 15 percent this year. Yet, the, the the Fed funds are still priced for six tightenings, 25 basis tightenings in the next in, in the next year. I use the one year measure. The last time we had a 24 percent correction in the stock market was 2018, in September. 2018, Mark was priced for four hikes, high tightens in the next year. By the time we got December, they're, t- they're talking about easing. We're still priced for hikes. So the headwinds are increasing for asset re- revisions. We have this war, which I think is a significant trigger, trigger for um, negative consumer sentiment. And I'll, and I'll end on this. In the beginning of the year, um, versus their 50, 60-month moving average, the S&P 500 and Bloomberg Commodity Index were both about 50% above those levels. That's never happened in the last 60 years where they're both that stretched. So simple mean reversion is what I'm worried. And now we have pretty significant triggers for that. All right. Stuff to watch. You know, Mike, one ETF we haven't talked about is wheat, W-E-A-T. Ukraine being such a big uh, uh, producer of wheat, obviously the war is going to jeopardize that production. What do you think would happen to that ETF? Buy low, sell high, the higher price cure, there's going to be massive supply coming on in the u.s wheat tracks the u.s wheat future uh, it has to roll in contango historically wheat is expensive to store um, if you're going to invest in anything commodities in that space look at soybeans you know it's virtually it's one of the best uh roll yields of all commodities um soy and um corn will cross you maybe six seven percent a year cost just to hold it and wheat is great, but the time to buy wheat was two years ago. And if, you know, if you've been long, you're supposed to be lightening up. I would not suggest overweighting here. And this is the problem you have to be careful about. People chasing markets, and that's the last thing you ever want to do in commodities. If you miss it, you miss it. Um, and if you want to get in that space, look at soybeans, because they're not going to cost you. Historically, they're easy to store. They typically don't have that contangle to roll in. Wheat, um, you have contangle to roll in. It typically costs you 6% annually to, just to hold it. Last question for you. What is your favorite ETF ticker? <laughs> GBTC. <laughs> I could I probably could have Oh, that come one. on. I was hoping I, Eric, I, I thought you'd love listen, that. <laughs> listen. Uh, this is why I think Mike's gone full Bitcoin because the old Mike, no. he would have picked GLTR, glitter, which is this cool basket of the physically backed gold, palladium, platinum and silver. Yeah. We 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 that we kind of like this ETF on the team. We feel like it's a kind of a cool like diversified metals ETF that has no uh, weird roll cost in it. And that was from Mike's old company. And but the fact that he didn't pick it shows 
Mike has he's gone Bitcoin. He's, he's I, gone, I, Joel. I, I got to give you two reasons why. If it was five years, buy and hold, accumulate, never trade. Five years, buy and hold, accumulate, and never trade. I think the upside is many X's in GBTC, and glitter might be a couple. But the, to me, and, and your risk obviously is appropriate, and you might lose more too, but I see the upside is, like I said, it's unlikely. Um, it's like, say, many X's and, and for the trend is to continue. GBTC, yeah, I love it. I've, I've, I've exposed it in the past. I've, I've liked it, but it's already had a pretty good run. And I think those together paired would be good too. Also, but again, it, when you're looking at your portfolio, wouldn't glitter or gold GLD be better to put in the commodities section and GBTC or Bitcoin, it should be repla- you should replace a, maybe some tech stocks with that? Well, you could do that, but with, we're getting that divergence now, Eric. I would say Ethereum's more co- associated with tech stocks, maybe a Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index or an index, an ETF. Eventually, we're going to be talking about something that attracts a, you know, an index of uh, cryptos, but um, Bitcoin has become a global digital collateral. So I think what's transitioning this year, and it's already showing up in the tape, is Bitcoin's transition again from that risk on to a risk off asset. And um, it's, we're seeing that with, I see bids coming in below on all dips and it's going institutional. Now, here's a good fact about it. It's still less than 1% of most institutional portfolios. And I think most you know, fiduciaries realize their greater risk is um, not being allocated to this space. They might as well have some rather than being able to tell their grandkids, uh, why did you miss the best performing asset in history versus you lose one, 2%, you know, it's not as important. I, I'm sensing that everywhere. Okay, Mike, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.